what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents, as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. There are now an estimated 20 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and are concerned about their own life as they age. In this podcast, we're talking about the importance of religiosity and spirituality among caregivers. In other words, how one's faith and religious practices can directly and indirectly influence psychological health among caregivers of older adults, and how that underpinning may be an important resource for managing the stress of caregiving. Our interviewee for this podcast is Ashley Tate. Ashley is a doctoral candidate in the Human Development and Family Studies Program at Penn State University. She is working under the direction of Dr. Lynn Martiri in the Couples and Health Lab, which is associated with the Center for Healthy Aging at Penn State. She is in the process of finishing her doctoral dissertation, which is focused on identifying how religiosity specifically religious participation, can be a resource for older caregivers and care recipients. Hi, Ashley. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Francis. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm glad you're here. Thank, Thank you. you. We also have with us Lee Syria, like, goodness, Lee Syria as my co-interviewer. For the past nine years, Lee has served as the president and CEO of the Newton, North Carolina-based United Church Homes and Services, a nonprofit comprised of 11 senior living communities that serve more than 2,000 older adults in North Carolina and Virginia. Lee received her undergraduate degree in healthcare management from Appalachian State University and her MBA from Gardner-Webb University. She is a member of the Board of Trustees for Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina, and also serves on boards of Leading Age North Carolina and ACAP Community. Lee, we are glad you are here also. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Francis. Good. And Lee, I'm going to let you take it away. Okay. So, Ashley, this whole topic of religiosity, spirituality, and caregiving is intriguing. Um, Is there a difference between religiosity and spirituality in research? And if so, how is it distinguished? Yeah, so that's actually, it's a really, it's a complicated uh, question. And it's really interesting because there is a lot of um, 
conversation being had more recently about what these differences might be and how we should really define them and how we should look at religiosity and spirituality. And um, so I think one of the approaches that I've noticed has been probably the most helpful is that, you know, there's just an innate, I believe, um, desire among like older adults or, you know, people of all ages that have a search for a meaning. And that is most mostly identified as being a spirituality and as being, you know, more, more spiritual. That's something that is among all of us. And then um, religiosity is really focused on, you know, your different beliefs or your practices. So they are connected and religiosity and spirituality can be, um, you know, a a very, um, you know, connected part of someone's life, but they also can be um, distinct as well. So for instance, someone can be spiritual, but not necessarily religious, but it isn't really uh, so the case that someone is religious without having some sort of uh, spiritual beliefs or having some type of of a spiritual connection. Um, And so one of the definitions that I think has been really, really helpful in my work is just thinking about, you know, your, religiosity as having a a formal set of beliefs being involved with a different organization or a different group, um, regardless of what that is. And then spirituality is just that, that larger search for meaning. And so Ashley, does religiosity tend to increase or decrease with age? Yeah, so that's actually um, something that I was pretty, it's a recent um, finding and something that I've really been interested to learn about in my, in my comprehensive exam and in my dissertation that I'm, I'm currently working on. Um, But there was a, a publication that came out in 2016. And what they found was that, um, just so I'll explain what this means a little bit, but cross-sectionally, which means that they, they interviewed a lot of people over at the same amount of time. So they interviewed, let's say they interviewed everyone in 2014 over a wide range of ages. So from probably teenage years all the way to older adulthood. And they found that there is um, there was a significant difference between younger adults and older adults and that older adults tended to have um, higher levels of religiosity or spirituality. Um, and then there were two papers later on that kind of wanted to try and identify, you know, why is this? Is it because there is what we, you know, call in the research world cohort differences, which really means that, you know, it's just a difference in the generation. It's just a difference in how you grew up or, um, you know, maybe younger generations were just, they grew up in a time where that was more important or that, that those values were carried in the household. Or is it actually that people tend to um, increase, you know, that, you know, as we get older, that, um, that desire to have, like, to find meaning in a religion or in spirituality um, gets stronger. So um, the answer is not really quite known yet. Um, Those are some potential answers, but um, so those were the two findings that they did have. So it was that, you know, younger generation or uh, yeah. So the older generations did grow up in a time where it was more likely that religiosity and spirituality was something that was involved in their 
their youth that they carried over. Um, but also they did find some older adults that reported that as they got older, religiosity became more important to them. So I think that this is a really um, an important topic to talk about with older adults. And it's important for research so that we can try to identify, you know, whether or not this is something that um, can be useful, can be used as a resource. Um, because, you know, going back to the previous question, um, I forgot to mention that among the various definitions of religiosity and spirituality and all of the different um, ways that we use in the research to try and measure these constructs, we are, um, they get into a lot of nuances in a lot of research that can be really informative, but at the same time, it makes, um, it makes this topic really complicated. So for instance, there is some work that looks at, you know, positive religious coping and negative religious coping. And those are just different ways that individuals view, um, you know, broad terms, God, um, or how they view the role of, um, religiosity in their life or what their experience has been um, with different religious groups or different um, organizations. So it's really, um, it, it gets really big and really complicated very quickly. Um, but it does seem to appear in the research that, you know, older adults on average tend to have a higher, um, ha tend to endorse religiosity and spirituality more than younger adults. Go back for a second, Ashley. You said something a minute ago about positive and negative. I think you said religiosity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little more about what would be positive and what would be negative? Sure, sure. So positive would be like, you know, um, I find I find meaning in my religious beliefs or um, my religious beliefs give me hope. And um, negative religious coping is more focused on like, you know, um, I, I'm, I feel angry with God or, you know, I feel like, um, you know, my, my beliefs have, um, have made my life more difficult or it's made things challenging. And so that's really kind of what those distinctions are. That is not something that I personally in my own work have been able to focus on. And like I said, just because... That's one um, one challenge that has really been prevalent in my recent work is that I'm having trouble trying to find a um, a, a clear thread um, throughout the literature about how these variables should be looked at, or um, you know what specific questions we should be asking in order to define. Okay, this is you know. Because in, in psychological research, in sociological research, and developmental research, we like to have standard measures um, that we can look at and say, okay, this is how we measure um, depressive symptoms, and this is how we measure well-being, and this is how we measure all of these, you know, wonderful things that have been established in the literature for years, um, but we don't have anything right now for religiosity and spirituality. So it makes all of these nuances a little bit more challenging to make sure we know, okay, like I can find um, connections in the work based on, on what they've used and, and what I'm looking at in my current work. Um, is religiosity or spirituality associated with well-being among caregivers or ill older adults? 
Yes. So um, that's been one of the most um, encouraging findings that and um, what I'm actually interested in looking at even more so is that, um, you know, religiosity and spirituality are more um, they tend to be used as a resource, which is really what I'm what I'm focused on and what I'd like to be able to, um, you know, we always try to have like a story and when we publish our work and when we discuss it more. Um, so that's part of the story that I'm hoping to, to share is that, you know, it really is something that can be utilized and something that is, um, can be used as, um, something to be an encourager. So yes, we have found that, you know, it, it tends to be higher, um, higher religiosity or higher spirituality tends to be, you know, in broad terms associated with better well-being among caregivers, as well as among ill older adults. Um, so one of the things that um, I've really been looking at and I've really been interested in is what is the, um, you know, the role of illness in someone's life? How does that um, either change the way that they looked, have looked at their religiosity or spirituality, or maybe enhance what they've already believed. Um, you know, the, we, I know we've talked about this a lot, but there is when the caregiving situation comes up that changes so much in, um, in someone's life, in the care recipient's life, as well as in the caregiver's life. And so being able to kind of identify what has been, um, you know, helpful or, you know, whether someone can use their church or their synagogue or um, their spiritual group and their just connections as a sort of support. Um, because when, when this type of situation comes up, it's usually those individuals who have, um, you know, like-minded beliefs that you want to turn to, that you want to rely on, that you want to seek support from. And so I think that one reason for why we've been able to see that, okay, religiosity and spirituality, it's not just that the beliefs are, you know, make people have higher well-being or have them, you know, experience less caregiver burden or things like that. It's more so the additional support that comes from having those connections and having those resources um, that we're really focused on and that I really um, am hoping to find more uh, in my future work um, that those those connections and that support is really what is bringing those um, that well-being up higher, but that work is, is to be continued. You know, it's really interesting as you're talking about this, Ashley, I, I keep thinking back to my personal experience with, as I say, walking my mother home and walking my husband home. Um, and both of them were highly spiritual people. But as my mother aged, um, it, she became more and more fearful of God and God's mm -hmm. judgment. Whereas with my husband, um, the, the, the longer we journeyed with the leukemia, um, it was very clear his groundedness and his discipline, his spiritual practices really sustained him, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and helped guide him 
through some very, very difficult times. And it, and so as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, you know, I, I've witnessed kind of such a difference in people who who anchor or, or who are anchored differently. So when you're talking about the negative, positive and the negative coping that um, that one spirituality and religious practices can can offer, oh my word, absolutely, it can be both. It can be either. Right, absolutely. And there's also, I think, some type sometimes a misconception that. Um, in, you know, in with when illness comes or when, you know, a setback comes or some type of a reliance that would need to become on either some type of a surgery or modern medicine, there are different beliefs that, you know, if I am relying on these things, I'm not relying on, you know, my beliefs to save me or on God to save me. And then that can be, that's actually um, a part of the negative religious coping is that it's, you're not taking the measures that you've been um, encouraged to take because of those other things. I, I don't think that this is what you were touching on before, but it just reminded me that that was another component of that. Um, but yeah, I think there are, and that is one thing also in, in this type of work that I'm trying to embark on. I think that it's really a little ambitious um, in this point in my life. I don't know how much of a dent I'll be able to make in the literature because it is so broad and the, um, the reality is, is that I don't know if we're going to be able to really be able to capture the uh, range of beliefs that are had, even, you know, between the two individuals that you had just listed. There are so many different nuances between, um, you know, how we how we cling to or we we shy away from what we believe because it's um it can, it, it's just so, um, it's so broad and there are so many different beliefs that it just, um, it makes this topic a little bit challenging to talk about. Um, but I'm so glad that we, we can have these conversations because it really opens up, um, the door to try and understand more, um, what these beliefs can have and what kind of a difference they can make in someone's life, especially in the caregiving situation or in the care receiving situation as well. Right. And and then it kind of dovetails with what does that mean? How does that get applied mm-hmm. relative to um, the caregiver, whether it is the family, the informal caregiver, or whether that is the professional caregiver? Mm-hmm. How, how does all of that get, get oh. together? That's a great question. And so part of the, um, so in, in my work, we try to use theoretical models to um, shape the way that we look at our our work. Um, they always say like, okay, you can't you can't just go and do research and think, you know, like, oh, I'm going to make these connections. It has to be grounded in some type of a theory um, that's either still being developed or is um, you know has been established. And so, one of the theoretical models that I like to to use or that I like to look at is the biopsychosocial spiritual model. And so, what this Yes, it is. A lot, it's a lot to type out too, and there's no acronym for it. So I type it a lot. I need to. I need to come up with a short, like a um, some type of skip on my keyboard, so that the shortcut will take me right to that. But um, 
So what that theoretical model was actually used for was for um, practitioners. It was established for nurses and doctors to use in um, the situation of someone coming in and that is ill. And so what the what the belief is and what the theory really kind of posits is that if someone is coming in with an illness, they need to be treated for more than just their biological condition. And so that we need to kind of think about the um, the care recipient and even the caregiver as well as um, addressing their biological concerns, their psychological concerns, um, their social, if they're not in a healthy social environment, then that's part of what's going to get them back to healing. Um, and then they're spiritual as well. So it's it's really kind of a push. And it was a push for practitioners and for, um, for nurses and for doctors to really think about, okay, so if you have um, a client who comes in or, a, you know, someone who's ill that comes in and says, you know, this is the surgery that we need to take. And it's against their religious beliefs. Um trying to try and find a way, okay, so what can we, how can we work together um, to be sensitive about your beliefs, but also make sure that you're getting the treatment that you need. And, you know, there's all, you know, homeopathic medicine, um, other kinds of ways that you can um, approach healing um, that that's really what this is trying to encourage. So yeah, that's really, it's an interesting point. I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm using this model in my work, even though it is not used, it was not developed for researchers to use, but I still think that it's important for us to acknowledge that, you know, in this situation where someone is in need of, um, of healing. And then of course, you know, the caregiving process is really, um, it's, it's a big, uh, big deal for the caregivers as well. This is something that we can address as for, for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I recently did a presentation on family centered care and I'm mm-hmm. hearing all of this and thinking this is sort of, you know, a piece of that, um, that we yes. should be able to expect. That, yes. That we are treated as a whole person and part of our personhood part of our being really is the spirituality of us Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. core of who we are absolutely and of course it would be the same uh or not the same it would be different you know there are different levels of all of those things so the you know where where your need might be um you know it wouldn't be the same for everyone and so that's why i think you know i'm not sure how many years ago, but I remember um, when I was getting into the learning more about the medical field and about research and all of that, it was really person-centered care and that was really being pushed. And now it's like more family-centered care, which I think is a great um, a great shift that we're still thinking more about, about the family and about the social context, because that's, I mean, my my field is human development and family studies. I really think, you know, I put so much emphasis on the family because it makes such a big difference in, you know, how that healing process goes and how the caregiving situation goes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely yeah. it does. <laughs> yeah. Ashley, I, um, are there other pieces of your current work that you're focused on or even future work that you're mm-hmm. wanting to focus on? And what are you hoping to 
to find for all of that? Yeah. So I think that it's really kind of, my story is a little bit interesting. I was, you know, I became interested in caregiving when I was in undergraduate school. So this was probably almost nine years ago now. <laughs> think about that. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, that's when I really got on this path and I was like, well, I really don't know exactly how it's going to go. And of course, you know, we never do our paths are always kind of more like a ping pong um, game than anything else. But we, so I was um, talking with my advisor, um, you know, you had mentioned Dr. Lynn Martiri, and she had mentioned kind of off the cuff, she said, you know, I have this data set from years ago that I worked on. And there's this question about like religiosity. I don't know if you would be interested in it or um, if you want to look at it, you know, but if you're in need of another project, this might be a direction that you could take. And so I started looking at it and I was like, wow, that's really, I think this is a really interesting, you know, paper idea. And that was really all it was going to be. It was just, I would maybe write one paper about this topic just because it was something I was personally interested in. And then I could kind of take it from there. Well, and then the more, the more I got into the literature, the more complicated things got, and then the longer it took. And actually that paper, that paper had never been written. I mean, this was probably four years ago and um, it's turned, it's turned into such a big project that it's now my dissertation. (laughs) So this was something that was supposed to be a small, you know, off the cuff, if you have time, this is something you can work on in your spare time. And now it's turned into this big, um, this big component. And so what I'm, what I'm really focused on currently is we're looking at um, religious practices. And so actually, um, of course, like we had mentioned, spirituality is, is very important. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to identify and try and look at, you know, are your your religious community that you grow, does that make that much of a difference in other communities that you may have? Um, so is that type of support that you have from, you know, your practices that you're engaging in, um, does that make a difference in, in your well-being and in your life? And so I'm, um, I'm looking at two different types of work. So um, the first project that I'm working on is, is something that's more, um, I'm using a, a large national data set. Um, so just kind of looking at, you know, broadly, how is religiosity associated uh, or religious practice rather? Um, how is that associated with well-being? Um, but also looking at, okay, so if, if attending religious services is important to you. So, you know, we ask these questions like, oh, you know, have you gone to church within the last month or within the last year? And if somebody says no, um, we can look at that either one of two ways. One, they don't, they don't have that type of support or they don't, they, that's not something that's important in their life. Or, um, you know, we uh, think if they say yes, oh, then, you know, that's, that's going to be encouraging. That's going to be good. So one thing that this data set has really allowed for, and that's been really encouraging, is that I they also ask a secondary question: is is it important to you to actually attend these religious, you know, practices, or is it is it something that's of importance to you? Is it a, a 
an activity that you value. And so now we get to get a little bit deeper into saying like, okay, so if this is something that you value and you were able to attend church, you know, within the last month or year, um, then what is that? Is that a boost? Is that encouraging for your well-being? Or if this is an activity that is a value of you and due to your caregiving circumstances, you are not able to attend, how does that impact your well-being? And that's something that um, I'm really, I'm really hopeful. I'm really looking forward to um, finding what these answers are going to be. So um, where I'm, I'm kind of at with that is um, really thinking that it will be, it will make a difference in, um, you know, in, in your, if you're not able to attend, I really think that that's going to be um, a bigger impact on a caregiver or a care recipient's well-being than, you know, if this wasn't a very important activity to you, but you didn't attend anyway. Um, and so then my second piece of work, the original, the, the project that kind of got me started down this path is looking at an intervention project that my advisor had worked on. So this is a project she worked on um, over 10 years ago and um, the results have been published and, and it's been, it's been great. It was um, similar to ACAP actually, it was an education and support intervention. And so what I'm actually looking at is to try and figure out does religiosity um, or, you know, your religious attendance is really what I'm looking at. Does that make an influence in how effective the intervention was for you? And so there have been two studies that have looked at a similar question, kind of looking at interventions and looking at, you know, religious beliefs and practices. And what they've found is that in the, um, you know, in the, in the intervention, people who reported that they had low levels of religiosity or low levels of religious participation actually did better in the interventions. And so part of the explanation for that is that it's likely that this support group that they developed while they were in this group intervention really served as that support that they would have gotten in, you know, their religious beliefs or their spiritual beliefs. And so that's what I'm trying to identify here as well as, um, you know, in this caregiving context, um, whether or not their, their participation, if they had not previously um, said that they had a religious or spiritual group that they were participating in, whether or not that's going to make their, their outcomes from the intervention stronger. Interesting. This is all very interesting. Um, are you finding that there are um, racial or ethnic differences in the use of religiosity as a resource among caregivers of older adults? Yes. So that's been another, that's also a part of my work and a part of my dissertation. Um, and so what, um, what we have found is that actually for individuals who are um, of a minority status, that their religious and spiritual beliefs are actually stronger and they have a stronger impact on their well-being um, and on their, um, on their outcomes as far as, you know, they report if, if they were, um, to 
endorse religious or spiritual beliefs. They report less caregiver burden. There was even one study that I found that it was very interesting. It was um, only among um, Black individuals and Black um, older adults. And what they found is that over like a 10-year period, I believe it was, that if the if the older adult reported that they had um, some type of religious beliefs or religious attendance, their um, their mortality was actually lower than among individuals who older adults who um, did not report that. And it was it was really kind of it shook the literature a little bit. And then um, yeah, it's just been it's been really interesting to see you know how much um, that can be such a strong support, especially for individuals who are of a minority status, um, even more so than, than white um, individuals as well. So that's been something that I've been looking at as well. Um, we call it a moderator. And so that's what I've been, I've been looking at race as a moderator, just trying to see, you know, whether or not these effects are stronger for individuals who are, um, who are of a minority status, and so that's another question that I'm I'm going to be asking in my in my dissertation and in my future work. So I'll have to report back and let you know what I find. Good. We'll we'll be interested in the updates of that. Yes. But you know, as we are talking about this, two things keep keep running through my mind. One is the studies that Duke University has done on prayer, um, and the um, the impact of prayer, even intercessory prayer, when people don't know that they are being prayed for, you mm-hmm. know, and, and finding that there seems to be, you know, the research that their research is showing that there is a connection between prayer and well-being um, mm-hmm. and um, getting well or, or healing quicker and, and just fascinating kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that keeps going through my mind is that we are talking about this at a time that mainline denominations are are decreasing in attendance and participation, um, whereas, uh, you know, we're seeing the impact, the, the positive impact, yet... Um, I think a lot of people are saying that they are spiritual, but no, they're not connected with a church or synagogue or, or uh, you know, um, mosque or, or any particular group or organized group, but that they feel just within themselves that they are spiritual and they have their own spirituality and spiritual practices. And, and I'm just kind of thinking, wonder. You know, if you could take a snapshot of where we are today and then look at it 50 years from now, you know, wonder what the differences would be. Absolutely. And that's you brought up a great point and something that just unfortunately with the the breadth of my work right now, I'm not able to look at prayer or or meditation, but I have seen research being done where they do brain scans on individuals who are praying or on individuals who are meditating and they compare them I think to people who are just told to like, you know, sit in silence. And that the the neurons in your brain and like the um, I'm not a brain psychologist, so I don't know all of the technical terms, but that there is, there are changes that happen 
you know, neurologically in your brain when you pray and when you meditate. And so it's, it's really, really interesting work that, you know, I, I would love to look at, but I just, um, I don't have the time. (laughs) Um, so yeah, but I really do think that that's, um, that was important to mention, um, about, you know, when people are being prayed for and about, you know, prayer for yourself as well. As far as, um, you know, a snapshot of where we are today, I think that that is, you're right. Like the, the idea of being, um, or not the idea, but the, the church in general, or the, um, you know, the mosque or the synagogue, I believe is, is shrinking, um, just because of the, the idea of, you know, I can, I can be spiritual or, um, I've even heard people say that they have graduated from church, which I don't know, um, what that means or, um, you know, if, if that is even possible, I I don't think so. Um, but I, because I do think that that, you know, connection is so important. And of course we can find, um, you know, social connections with our friends. Um, but this is a topic that has really become very difficult for people to talk about because, you know, people have been hurt in the past or their beliefs are so strong um, that they don't want to, you know, talk about that with, with their social groups. Um, You know, they always say like, you can really talk about politics and religion with like yourself or maybe your spouse. (laughs) So it's, it's really become difficult, but I think that, you know, one thing that I've noticed even among older adults is I am, I'm involved in a project where I, I interview older adults and I've been interviewing the same, same group of individuals for the past couple of years. And um, within the last few years, since I've become, or since I've become interested in religiosity and spirituality, we now ask questions, you know, about their religious and spiritual beliefs and their practices. And um, I have a lot of participants who say like, oh no, like, I, I have beliefs, but I don't, I don't have a community that I turn to. I don't have a um, group of individuals that I talk with about this because I just don't think that that's something I would talk with them about. And I really think that it's going to be interesting, you know, because we have that, um, that 2016 paper that I talked about earlier, where they were noticing like the big cohort difference between younger you know, Americans, these were all Americans, younger Americans and older Americans were older Americans were more, they reported being more religious and spiritual. um, But I don't believe they looked at, you know, whether or not they had a connection with like a a community with a religious or spiritual community. It was just that for themselves, they believed that they were. And so, I mean, you're right, we're coming into an age where I think that this is going to be a pretty big shift. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see where it, where it moves forward, but I, I do have a feeling that it won't be, um, that, you know, it was a statistically significant difference, which is what we always look for in research is that there would be a difference between those two groups in the next, you know, maybe 50 years, 25 years. I don't know if it's going to be that stark or if it's going to be that strong. Um, but you know, only time will tell. And maybe 50 years from now, you can redo this. Right. Yes. And compare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would be the goal. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing that I think, um, you know, is encouraging is that, <clears throat> you know, I think the the interest in religiosity and spirituality is actually, 
you know, in, in research terms, fairly new. And so it's really been the last like 30 years that this research has kind of took off. Um, and so I'm hopeful that it will continue to grow as we move forward and as we move along. But, you know, I'm not not quite sure um, what it will grow into and what direction it's going to take just because, you know, and that's partly, partly the reason why we don't have those gold standard measures that I was talking about before. It's just because we don't, um, we have, we don't have time on our side. We haven't been, you know, developing these things for years and years. So um, we're just kind of using what we have currently. So Ashley, I, I'm going to maybe put you on the spot a little bit, not meaning to, but okay. if we boil all of this down mm-hmm. in practical what what are we saying what what is what are sort of the parting words that someone listening to this podcast could take away in terms of their own spirituality spiritual practices or that of their loved one what what's sort of the bottom line that they can take away from and go okay now now I can use this I think that the bottom line, the main takeaway and what I'm really trying to encourage in my writing and in my work is that religiosity can be a resource and that if, you know, you're able to connect with someone or, you know, find your, if maybe the, um, the, the body that you were gathering with before wasn't, um, wasn't the most positive or, you know, if you had a bad experience that you can still, um, you can find your place and that there is going to be a place out there that, that will care about you and that will, you know, be encouraging for you. Um, and that this can be something that can really be a benefit in, um, in your caregiving experience in your care receiving experience it can give meaning um, to a lot of what you're going through and so I think that that would be um, to try and identify you know in as a caregiver you know I have personally not been a caregiver but I am close to a lot of caregivers and I have seen um, just the toll that it can take and I, I've seen you know, just the amount of time that they spend on their, on their role and on their situation. And it can feel a lot like, you know, I don't have time to, you know, worry about this area in my life. But as we had discussed previously, you know, spirituality is something like that search for meaning is something that is, is, I believe is innate that, you know, there's, there's in, in all of us, in all humans, you know, we try to make connections with people. We try to find that, that, meaning. Um, and so find it, you know, that's something that is important. And as part of taking care of yourself is to really make sure that you're acknowledging that part of your life and, and making time for, okay, like, you know, I need to either find a group or, um, find an, an individual or find a podcast or find a reading, um, that you can go through, when you're waiting in the doctor's office or when you're driving back and forth to appointments um, to really encourage your growth um, and to, you know, take care of that part of yourself so that you can help take care of the individual as well. Lovely. Lovely. Thank you. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much, Ashley. Um, As we keep saying, one's faith expression so often 
not only serves to comfort us in difficult times, but also grounds and guides us, particularly as we deal with challenging circumstances. But it's really fascinating to know that research confirms the role of faith and spiritual practices as we age and as we care for our loved ones. So thank you for being here. And Lee, thank you for being part of this conversation and lending your professional as well as personal insight and, and expertise. Thank you also to you, our listeners, for joining us. We hope this podcast has been helpful to you and that you will share it with others you think may benefit. And certainly before we end, we want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, our sponsor for this podcast. We are indeed grateful for their support. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our Caregiver Community podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts and our website, our ACAP website, which is www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you'd like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our background, education, career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs help, caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.